This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Hey guys, welcome to another episode of the Allison Interviews podcast. My guest on this episode is Rachel Yucatel. Rachel has been in and out of the headlines for the better part of 23 years. And what's so interesting about her life is that the times that she has become a centerpiece in the news media are all for wildly different reasons. And you have to think that maybe there's some kind of cosmic or karmic reason behind it because there have just been so many instances where she has been a media centerpiece. The first time that I ever saw Rachel in the media was actually a tragic occasion. It was right after 9-11. I was 27 years old at the time, and I was actually working in Manhattan myself. And I'm the same age as Rachel. We're both 49 now. At the time, I believe we were both 26, or uh, I think I was about to turn 27. And I remember seeing this just devastated-looking young blonde woman on the cover of the New York Post. It was right after 9-11 happened. It couldn't have been more than a, maybe a day or two later. And she was holding up a picture of her missing fiance, who I believe worked on the 104th floor of one of the towers. His name was Andy O'Grady. And she was engaged to be married to him. And she, her face especially for those who were living in New York at the time, just became synonymous with the tragic events surrounding 9-11. And that was the first time that I ever saw her, and I think the first time that she was ever entered into the public zeitgeist, you know, the, the media zeitgeist of, of public interest. And the picture was so palpable, which I think that photography and particularly photojournalism really does have the power to evoke emotions that can't necessarily be expressed in just words. And she really became the face, or one, I shouldn't say the face, but one of the faces of that tragedy. And that was a day when she, at, at the time, she had lost the love of her life. And then if you fast forward several years in 2009, when Tiger Woods' marriage to Elon Nordegren had completely blown up and it was all over the media. She again was thrust into the media spotlight and she was followed doggedly by paparazzi. And she was really kind of held up and vilified as the face of the demise of Tiger Woods's marriage um, for the alleged relationship that she had with him. And it's something that really followed her for quite a long time. And of course, you know, we all have our ideas of what's good and what's bad and what's right and what's wrong. But what's interesting about Scandal is that Scandal turns people into two-dimensional caricatures. And we don't often take the time to understand who somebody is and the nuance of a situation uh, in terms of all the players that are involved in any kind of scandal. We really don't take the time to 
understand who these human beings are. They just sort of become characters in a Shakespearean stage play that we consume for our own fascination, entertainment, or even as just somebody or something that we can wag our finger at, and it takes the attention off of whatever is going on in our lives. And it's just an interesting dynamic. And then Rachel went on to star on some reality television. She eventually married former football player Matt Hahn, and they had a daughter. She subsequently then divorced him. And all these years later, she is just living a relatively quiet life. She's raising her 11-year-old daughter. And she created a podcast that's become quite popular. It's called Misunderstood with Rachel Yucatel. And the premise of the podcast was fascinating to me because as somebody who has walked in those shoes, she is on a mission to bring three-dimensional humanity to people who have either been reduced to a single headline in the news media or just simply to people who are misunderstood the way that she feels that she has been misunderstood for all of these years. And some of her interview subjects are quite interesting. You'll recognize most of their names. They are all people who have been in the news media in one way or another, have been judged in one way or another on a grand scale. And she gives them a platform to shape their own narrative and tell their own story. And as we all know, there's always a story behind every headline, right? Even if you think about the things that have happened in your life where you took a left turn, you made a decision that was less than stellar, you made a mistake, um, you look back on something and say, what the hell was I thinking? There's, there's context, there's a backstory to it, there's a past, and you know that past because you've lived that past. So what her podcast is, is trying to do is to give context and past and nuance to people who have not had that opportunity publicly speaking. She's also working on a memoir, which I'm actually really looking forward to reading because knowing a lot more about her story and things that she's gone through since childhood up through present day, there's so much more to who she is and what she's experienced and survived than what you could ever read in the New York Post or in the tabloids or any of these places that you would see if you were to Google her name. I will say that we had a very interesting hiccup when we sat down to do the interview. We just launched into this conversation and we just went headlong into so many deep issues. And then about 25 minutes in, we realized that we were not recording. <laughs> so I was like, okay, we can't go back. Don't have a time machine. So we're just gonna start recording now and we're just gonna make it as good as we possibly could for the last half an hour. When you start listening to this interview, you will come in in the middle of a conversation. And in the middle of that conversation, I was I happened to be asking Rachel about the documentary that I think was on HBO Max. It came out a few years ago and it was called 15 Minutes of Shame. It was co-produced by Monica Lewinsky, who knows public shame more than probably just about any of us. And I thought it was a really interesting topic of discussion uh, for Rachel and I to talk about. So you're going to hear us coming in 
in the midst halfway through a conversation, but I promise you the 30 minutes that we did record are absolutely gold and I'm very, very proud of this episode. So sit back, relax, and listen to the second half of my conversation with the one and only Rachel Yucatel. So you did see that documentary, 15 Minutes of Shame, where you didn't? I have seen it. Yes. I saw it many years ago. Okay. I I mean, I find it interesting because, you know, she herself, Monica Lewinsky, I feel like her whole life, that's been the narrative. And no matter what she's done, she kind of can't get out from under it. But yet Bill Clinton was able to kind of shed that skin and move on in his life. And I just, I find it very interesting, that dynamic. But also the fact that psychologically people feel the need to punish other people publicly and people have a hard time identifying somebody who's mentioned in the public eye as a three-dimensional human being. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot to talk about in that statement. Listen, I think that in the Monica and Bill Clinton thing, I, I don't think he got away unscathed. It was just that he... I mean, he hasn't reinvented himself. He just had a position of power where he could continue on in a job or get another job or have something important to say. And she was an intern, right? So she had to figure out her life. Her life wasn't figured out then yet. So it was harder for her to have a comeback. Whereas from him, he had a much bigger fall from grace. I mean, he, you know, people to this day obviously still talk about that. They make fun of him. They make fun of his marriage with his wife. Um, yeah. You know, so I don't know that he got out unscathed. He just, it was a different fall from grace. Whereas for her, she really had to build her life up again. But of course, like you're saying, I think that when you have uh, something with a cheating scandal, the woman gets blamed a lot more than the man or both may get blamed, but the anger really goes towards the, towards the woman and the criticism goes towards the woman. And, you know, the man, the man's just doing what the man's going to do. And it's the woman who's this, you know, threatening weapon of mass destruction, you know, whatever it is, with no sense of empathy. And, you know, it's always this caricature of what people think a mistress is, you know, and I don't know that that is true. And it, it, the stigma that goes along with it goes back to that book, The Scarlet Letter, you know, and if people really read about The Scarlet Letter, they would know that this woman and the relationship she had, she really loved this man. This man really loved her and it didn't work out. And it was terrible the way that she was represented in The Scarlet Letter she had to walk around with. And the fact that it maimed her life going forward and her child and, you know, all these things just because she was in a consensual relationship with someone. So, you know, I think it's terrible how society looks at the woman, you know, and we just saw it with this stupid Vanderpump scandal. Like, I hate talking about this, but I'm going to bring it up for a second because I thought it was so crazy that it wasn't just in pop culture. It was, you know, people were writing about it in the New York Times. Why? Like, I really didn't get it. It was on a show. Um, right. You know, to me, it made no sense. I don't know anything about because I, I don't watch Vanderpump rules. Can you fill me in? Well, I didn't watch it either, but it became the biggest, you know, uh, cheating scandal possible where... I mean, anyone who's listening to this would know. So, you know, couple who had met, by the way, because they cheated on their significant others, got together for nine years or whatever on the show. And then 
the new cast member that came on was sleeping with the boyfriend and everyone found out everyone flipped out. They blamed the woman, they hated her. And then lo and behold, now it's like, first of all, the way that this girl who was the mistress, Mm -hmm. how people allowed her to get treated was terrible. I mean, the fact she didn't jump off a bridge to me, I thought was like insane. I thought this girl was going to kill herself because the way that the public was responding to her sleeping with this guy was so terrible. And on like their reunion, the way that the cast members spoke to her, anytime she would talk, they'd be like, shut the fuck up. You're fucking disgusting. You're, you deserve to die. You know, the way they were speaking to her was so terrible. And then with the guy, they were just like, whatever, fuck off. You're a dirtbag, you know? Yeah. And then he was paid even more money as was the girl that got cheated on to come back onto the show. And then the girl who, you know, was branded with the scarlet letter did not come back on the show. So she's remained this like mistress, you know, in this mistress role, which is to me terrible. Meanwhile, the woman who was cheated on got every opportunity possible to go, you know, be on Dancing with the Stars, be an, an actress, be a model of like hair shampoo. Endless opportunities came her way because she was the victim in the whole thing. So I just think it was very bizarre how cheating has become something to find roles. You know, you find the victim, you find the villain, and then the guy kind of goes in between, you know? Right. Did you ever feel like a caricature at any point in your life? Yeah, of course. I mean, again, when people don't know you and they don't know the situation and they are reacting based based on what they're triggered by, they're angry at the people they're reading about, not because of them, but because of what how it's triggering them and making them feel, I think that's the problem because they don't know these people that they're even talking about, you know, unless it's somebody that they know on their block and their friend group, they shouldn't be that invested, you know? So you're a a symbol. It's, it's like what you said, It's, it's what's triggering them. Yeah. I mean, what are your thoughts on I'm thinking about even the situation with Amy Robach and, oh God, she was on GMA3 and what's the guy's name? I think it's TJ. TJ Holmes. Yeah. I often wonder to myself, what would I do in that situation? I feel like that's a question people should ask themselves before you judge anybody. Ask yourself, what would you do in that situation? And sometimes even if you think you know what you would do in that situation, you don't because you're not in that situation. And I just feel like in it, like if you take an example like that, if you have two people, especially in the entertainment industry, you have people that are thrown together for days, hours, and weeks, and months at a time, and feelings develop. Mm -hmm. So what do you do? Like, if you think you found the love of your life, do you stay in an unhappy marriage because that's the right thing to do? Or do you follow your heart and blow your life up and risk public scorn and humiliation? Like, these are really deep philosophical questions. Right. But again, we don't know if it blew their life up. For all we knew, they were having marital marital problems for years. For all we knew, they had had conversations with their significant other for years. We don't know. It's just how media puts out there. And, you know, I think it's terrible. Listen, the way those two handled it was probably not the best because probably should have filed for divorce before letting anyone catch them on camera and then let everyone in the world speculate about the fact that they were cheating and then the people had to dig up old stories and the fact that everyone loved Andrew Shue, 
I mean, from Melrose right. Place, you know, how could you cheat on hot, that the hot guy, you know, and made him the victim? But, you know, again, we have no idea. They may have had a terrible marriage. They may not have slept together in five years. And he wanted out just as much as she did. Who the hell knows? You know, so again, for people to get so invested in what happened with them is wrong. But, you know, on a better note, they ended up together. It didn't just blow up their life. And they said, oh, fuck it. Now we don't have our marriages and we don't have each other. They decided to leave together and have remained together. I don't care, nor do I know what's happening with them. It blew up their television career for now. Yeah, yeah, right. That, I think it was difficult for the the company they worked for, for them to be the news when they're supposed to be reporting the news. Right. So, And probably how they handled that, continuing to get photographed, hugging and kissing each other was probably not the best idea. So, I mean, I don't know. If I was their boss, I probably would have reacted the same way. It's owned by Disney. I mean, they can't represent themselves that way. So, you know, but I'm shocked that they haven't gotten a new job somewhere else, to be honest. I am too. I am too. So let's circle back and talk about your podcast. Sure. So your podcast, Misunderstood with Rachel, you could tell. You've had some amazing guests and we talked earlier how the concept of the podcast originally was people who have been reduced to a single headline because you know how that feels and you want to give people a platform to really show that they are three-dimensional human beings and tell their story and craft their own narrative. When you have approached people to be guests on the podcast, or even when people are approaching you, what do they know of you? Because obviously you're in the same boat. They know of you from page six, from the New York Post, from all the headlines, from things that have happened in the past. How are they characterizing you? And have they ever said to you either on the air or off, you know, I really thought I knew who you were, but gee, like, I really didn't. Anything like that? Sometimes I think it makes them feel more comfortable having the conversation with someone like me who they know has been through it. Mm-hmm. I know, for example, Mike Shoehead, one of the guys from Shaws of Sunset had never told his story before and was really criticized in the press for some some things that had happened. He had many press requests. He chose to do it with me because he felt like I could understand what it is like to be branded by the media. Then there are other people that, you know, I've just shown our numbers. I've shown, you know, the kind of respect that I have for someone and that I would give them a platform to not edit it so they could tell the story that they want to tell. And they chose to do it with me. And it's only halfway through our interview that they put it together who I am and (laughs) yeah. And they'll say, Oh gosh, I've just put it together. You're not how you're not who I thought you would be, you know, in a positive way. And then there's some people that, that don't care, you know, that have never, we've never even talked about it for the most part. We don't talk about it. If I feel like I need to use my history to persuade someone to be on the show and say, listen, I want you to come on to talk about what it's like because I get it. I have no problem saying that. But for the most point, for the most part, I'm again, I'm not just going after people that have been through a scandal. I'm going through anyone who has been misunderstood and wants to clear up their position. And most of those people don't need to know what my history is because my podcast speaks for itself. It's a platform for people who want to do that. So I think, whereas in the past, my name has really led for me in a good way and a bad way. Now it's the podcast is leading for me in a way that people are like, oh, I want to be on that because I want to tell my story. And they've had such great 
guests come on and talk about their story. And what is the greatest advice you have ever received and who gave you the advice? That's a hard one. The greatest advice, I mean, I'm sure I've gotten a lot of really good advice. Dr. Drew once told me, he's like, Rachel, you don't suffer fools gladly. And you have to remember to like be patient and not get upset because you think that someone's reacting to you based on your experience. So if someone's not reacting the way that you would react and you get upset, like they don't like me or they're not paying attention to me or whatever it is, they're being mean to me. They're, they're trying to hurt me. You have to remember that you're basing that thought process off of how you would react and how your background is, you know, your experience. Whereas sometimes, you know, like with my ex-husband for so long, I was like, this guy is intentionally being a dick. (laughs) For the most part, they're not like these people that you're putting your own experience on. They are Mm -hmm. reacting based on their life, their fears, their intentions, you know? So, you know, Dr. Drew was like, listen, 80% of people are not that smart are you know, have mental health issues. Like there are a very few amount of people who are in a healthy place in their life to have a real healthy dialogue and, and be able to listen and be heard. So don't get so upset about someone else's reaction. Just worry about yourself and worry about what you're expressing and don't feed off of how people are, are responding to you. So I thought that was pretty good advice. I also think it's very good advice that I've gotten in the past. I think it was Ryan Seacrest that I was really upset once because I was in the in the paper with him about something long time ago, obviously. And he said, listen, when people stop putting you in the paper, when people stop thinking you're relevant, when people stop caring one way or the other, even if they hate you, they love you, as long as they care to talk, you're okay. <laughs> And I thought that that was good advice, especially for so many years when I was in the paper and no one had anything nice to say about me. I tried to remember that advice thinking, well, at least I have the opportunity to clear things up at some point because people still care to know what's up. People are still talking about me. So I'm rubbing somebody. What was the story Ryan Seacrest? I don't even remember anything like that. This was so many years ago. We were in Saint-Tropez together and there was video of us together, you know, and people were like, who's this girl? This was before I was ever in the paper like that. And it was okay. really, not a, yeah. So I wasn't dating him or anything. It was just a fun photo and people took it out of context. But for me, someone who had never been talked about like that, and people were criticizing what I looked like. And by the way, you know, I was like 27, 28. I looked really good. You know, like the fact that they criticized me, that they put me down, like all this stuff. And they didn't even know my name back then. They were just like, who is this girl? It was, it was awful for me. And he's like, listen, he told me that he has to remind himself to not get swept up in what people are saying, but just be okay with the fact that they're talking about you at all. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it... a real POS. You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com system. Families have a lot going on. 
Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Okay. So you never feel the need to correct people, to right or wrong, to of do course. anything. That's why I have my podcast. But I stopped feeling the need to call page six and be like, wait a minute, let me respond to something you wrote about me or call Harvey Levin from TMZ and be like, that's not true. I did that for a long time. You know, I was like, how could you write stuff like that? You know, but no, I don't feel that way anymore. I'm 49 years old. I am very secure in my own skin, in my own group of friends. The people that know me and spend time with me do not question anything that comes out in the paper. They will ask me directly. Okay. And where are you with dating? Are you dating anyone right now? Are you in a relationship? I will say that I am constantly on a quest to find a witness to my life. I will just say I'm not engaged to anyone at the moment. I'm always hopeful that the person that I am with, whether it be short term or longer term, will end up being somebody that I could marry. I believe in marriage. I believe in monogamy and I want that eventually for myself. Okay. And do you pray? And if so, who or what do you pray to? You know, my mother forced me to go to church when I was younger and I sang in the church choir. And I think it put a really bad taste in my mouth because I felt forced to do it. In my older age, you know, I live across the street from a big one of those mega churches. And sometimes my daughter and I go because it's fun. Like you feel the energy there. It doesn't feel so old school like it was where they were old people and they gave old boring sermons that really read from the Bible that was hard to follow as a child. Now they, you know, use metaphors from Jay-Z's music to talk about the Bible. I don't know. But I do, you know... I don't know if I pray. Let me think. I, I, I'm sure that I have prayed when I'm in a moment of desperation, um, right. but it's not something that is, you know, some sort of religion just does not define my life and it is not a big part of my life, but I believe in respecting religion. I believe in, you know, uh, spirituality. I believe in praying to something and I am still open to it. So I feel like if you ask me this question in a year or five years, I may be really into it and feeling like that is something where I have a dialogue that really helps me. I'm just not there yet, you know, okay, but well, I'm open. I'm open to Yeah. But like, do you, do you have any spiritual beliefs that are apart from organized religion or do you see them as one in the same? No, I just believe in being a good person. You know, when no one is looking, it's still important to be a good person and to do the right thing because maybe God is looking, maybe I don't really know what I believe, but I do believe that you should always do the right thing, even when no one is looking. And it's probably because I believe there is a higher power or a God that is watching and will make the final decision on where you go. I just haven't gotten to that point where like, I can identify why I believe that, you know? Do you believe in regrets? I know that I have felt regret in the past. I try to live my life now where I don't have regrets. If I need to say something to someone, if I want to 
follow through with something, I will try to make sure that I do not live with any regret. I could not, if you asked me what was the last thing I felt regret about, I, you know, it might be like yelling at my daughter for doing something, you know, something small like that, because I can clear that up very easily. But I don't let situations or relationships go without saying what needs to be said as much as I can, because that feeling of regret is terrible. So if I felt that way, I will try and do something to write it, even if it's years later. And I'm at peace with that now. I don't have any regrets, I don't think. And I want to swing back to the memoir because we missed that opportunity earlier. Tell me where you're at with that. So you've been working on it on and off for years. Yeah. Are you working with a particular publisher or are you just writing it first? I am writing it first because I think there are many people that have their idea of what my story should be and what will sell. And that's not interesting to me. What's interesting to me is getting down the truth, the facts, and what I think at the end of the day is going to be interesting. I'm pretty good at knowing what makes headlines and what doesn't, what sells, what doesn't. And I'm not interested in writing something just because someone's like, okay, this story has to be about this story in your life. And then we can sprinkle some other little things about you. That actually, to me, is not going to sell. What will be a bestseller is my real memoir, because I've been through so many things that people have not heard my take on how I got from one thing to the next, You know how I got through it, what I learned, who I came in contact with, the actual experience. And you know, I think it's important to go through all that because that makes you who you are. What will you teach your daughter about healthy romantic relationships? Well, already at this age, they're starting to like talk about boys. And, you know, of course, to them, what's important, you know, they say, oh, this guy's cute. This guy's fine, you know, whatever, because they look at TikTok and they see the hair and the the moves and whatever it is, right? Or they watch these <laughs> movies on Netflix and, you know, uh, they get obsessed with a certain kind of relationship on there, right? She's very aware of the good boy versus the bad boy because that, that's in a lot of these young adult movies too. Wow. So what I will tell her, quite frankly, is who you fall in love with when you're younger is not necessarily the type of person you will fall in love with later. It is important to find someone who is motivated, who is who has their own sense of self-worth because I think that that is really important. I think the roles of a man and a woman, if that's what you're attracted to, that those roles are important, that you shouldn't just date someone because you feel comfortable with them, but you should date someone who you really love and who you believe in and who you can change with and um, who is motivated. And I have friends who have, you know, kids and they're younger and they're dating someone and the, the boyfriend is like, you know, always sitting on the couch doing video games. And I'm like, this guy sucks. This guy's not going to be the boyfriend <laughs> after college, you know, who's like helping to pay the rent and figuring out life with you. Like we got to find a motivated guy who's sweet, who's good to parents, who has good manners. So I teach her about real world stuff like that already. I teach her, you know, sometimes she'll come home and we're talking about funny things. I'm like, get over here. Show me how you give a handshake to people. I want her to learn how to shake someone's hand hard and look parents in the eye. And so I think all those qualities are really good. And I teach her that a boy should have those qualities as well. And to treat a woman well, we've had a lot of instances that we've seen even in her own school. She goes to a co-ed school where the boys are, as we talked about earlier, you know, 
everybody's over-sexualized now at that age because of TikTok and YouTube and this, that, and the other thing. And I do not, I will not allow her to date a boy who doesn't have respect for his elders for right and wrong. And I think that's important to, you know, have boundaries about and feel comfortable with and, and that she should be able to tell me anything and not be in a relationship with somebody who convinces her to do things that are not okay to do. And what, how will you explain some of your media fame to her as time goes on? I don't need to anymore. I mean, listen, she's grown up with that. Um, And she's had paparazzi follow us down the street. She's had, you know, people come up to us and say things in front of her. She's had, you know, even though she's 11. So she's very aware of who I am, of my media fame, so to speak. Um, You know, she doesn't, it doesn't bother her. It doesn't affect her in any way. She still thinks I'm annoying. And, you know, the most embarrassing thing ever when I pick her up at school, if I'm listening to me, you know, I'm just a regular mom to her, you know, when it helps her when she's like, Oh, mom, do you know this celebrity because I want to go to their concert or I want them to, you know, do a cameo for me and send me a video and, you know, they're not on cameo. Can we, can you call them, you know, things like that. She kind of tries to take advantage of because okay. I do know okay. a lot of people. <laughs> milk it. Okay. Yeah. She'll milk it a little bit, but no, I'm not at the place where I need to explain anything to her because again, our society is much more advanced than when we were younger and we might not know who our parents really were, what they had done or been through until we were in our twenties, thirties. Uh, yeah. We still don't see our parents as human. To no. this day, I don't care to know anything about my mom's romantic relationships from the book. <laughs> <laughs> no, you know? absolutely not. <laughs> so, uh, my mother still says to me, I'm a blank slate as far as you're concerned. Right. To this day. And she's 75. Right. There you go. So what do you think? And I don't know if you believe in this, but this is something I've been studying for a long time. I've been studying for many years. Um near-death experiences, where our soul goes from here, different lifetimes, reincarnation. So based on what I have studied, I believe that we come back many times and our soul inhabits different personalities and different bodies to learn and accomplish certain things. So with that being said, what do you think you came into this particular lifetime as Rachel Yucatel to learn And what do you think you came here to teach? You know, I've had someone who believes in all that kind of do readings for me. I mean, I've had a lot of people on my show that are into that. And they've all said the same thing to me, that I have had some major struggles, even in past lives. And I keep going through lives trying to get over whatever, and I'm not going to verbalize this properly, but that I'm trying to conquer this sort of renaissance thing of, of how I'm constantly being um, burned at the stake a little bit, you know, that I'm making some interesting choices. And in each life, it's, they're very powerful public things that rightfully or wrongfully, I'm in a position of needing to claw my way out of something and it keeps getting repeated. And I guess I think their intention of telling me that was to, to not see it as like, Oh, I've had such a tough life, but to, until I learned the lesson, you've gotten yourself out of it every time. 
So why, why would you live in any shame, regret? Like you have to realize you are in a position where you are someone that people will learn from right or wrong. And you need to take a stand on not wallowing in that shame. So, you know, I don't know. I mean, I don't know if I believe in any of that stuff. So what did I come to learn in this life? I mean, I I probably would say I've been in some major tragedies in my life from 9-11 to being in one of the biggest sex scandals in the in a decade, you know, and being branded either way as a victim or a villain by the media, um, losing my father at a young age, being sent to a therapeutic boarding school where I was pretty abused, you know, like I've had to figure out a way to count on myself and get out of things myself. And I should feel proud of that and take those skills and do something good with them or teach other people that they don't need to uh, be like what happened. They don't need to be stuck in that scenario. So I would say that. That's very interesting. Okay. Did you have a similar experience to Paris Hilton? I don't know if you saw her documentary that she was sent to a school for troubled teens and she suffered abuse. Yeah. So Paris went to my school for a few weeks and then she was sent to the sister school for a few weeks. I graduated from that school, from the original school. It was called CDU. I was there for three years almost and went through the entire program. So yeah, Paris got a documentary about it and was able to talk about her experience there. I you know, have not really talked about it, but I, I was there for three years. My mom sent me there when I was 12 and a half, almost 13. My father died when I was there. Um, and when I got out, I never went home after that. So yeah, I have a pretty terrible experience from being there. Wow. Okay. All right. Well, I guess that'll be in the book, I'm assuming. It will. Yeah. Got it. Okay. And what do you want people to know about what they can experience when they tune into your podcast? What can they get out of it? I think that it's interesting because I, I, again, I talk about all different topics so they can get a new story every time. There's nothing that's the same. Um, and I think that they will always hear a story of someone trying to explain who they were before an event, who they were after and what it was like to go through it. Mm -hmm. And I think that usually the listener gets something out of it where they, their opinion has changed on that person or on that topic. And I think that's really important that after you listen, you know, most of the, most of the comments that I've gotten are, wow, you know, I really thought one thing. And when I finished the episode, I thought another thing. So I think that's always, I love hearing that. And how do you define yourself? You know, people have defined you over and over again. How do you define yourself in terms of your qualities and what type of person you are? How do you, how do you see yourself? Well, I mean, listen, how would I define myself, you know, in terms of a job? I have hosted a top-rated podcast in the US, Canada, and Australia. I'm a mother. I'm very inquisitive. I'm somebody who's been through a lot of things, but I am ultimately very honest, very kind. I believe in the underdog and listening to their story and, and giving them a chance. And, you know, I think that, you know, you look at some people and you really can't judge a book by their cover. And that's what has happened to me for many years. And so I'm someone who is on a mission to change the narrative of people that feel misunderstood. Um, you know, but ultimately, I think I'm someone who 
is very resourceful and has kind of reinvented themselves plenty of times so that I could figure out what happiness is. Okay. And my last question is, what is something funny or quirky about you that people don't know? I wouldn't say this is funny, but it's something a lot of people don't know. I So I don't get nervous about like anything. I don't have nervous energy. Like we could be on a plane, it could be hijacked and I'd be like, okay, this is my jam. I've got this. I'm really good in a crisis. You're my hero. I hate flying. <laughs> oh, okay. so, like I'm great in any crisis. Like I'm always like, if somebody got shot in front of me, I'd be the best eyewitness. My heart rate doesn't go up. I'm, I don't get scared. Well, if someone throws up near me or gags or says they have a stomach ache, all bets are off. I ate poison berries when I was four years old. My mother gave me Ipecac. I had to violently throw up. I've never eaten rice and beans or green grapes since. It's terrifying to me. I've never thrown up since. Okay. Um, so throwing up is my biggest fear. And one time I was on an airplane that made a missed approach and everybody started throwing up into bags. Mm-hmm. I was like shaking back and forth, covering my ears. Like it was terrible when we landed. They're like, we have to refuel. We we went to a different airport. They had to refuel and they're like, we're going to go again. I was like, I'm getting off this plane. I took a train from, it was like Pennsylvania or something. We landed in Philly, I guess, instead of New York. And mm-hmm. I took a train back. I was like, and then I wrote Delta. Maybe I called them. I can't remember at the time. I think you had to write them. And I was like, I'm traumatized by this. And they gave me $2,600 in travel coupons for the trauma, the trauma that I went through. But not the trauma of the almost accident on the plane, but the trauma of people barfing. Yeah. <laughs> Terrible. Terrible. So for me, that's my like kryptonite of something that like will just send me to my knees. <laughs> that is so that is really funny. <laughs> yeah. My daughter's very funny about it because she knows that that's like my fear. And kids throw up all the time. Yeah. She's not a thrower upper. Like she knows I say to her, we are not a family of people that throw up. We're not throwing up today. Like if she has a stomach ache, I'm like, we're going to get through this. Um, (laughs) But when she was little, there are times that she threw up. And like as a four-year-old, she was so cute. I remember her like throwing up into the toilet and like putting her hand out for me to be like, don't come in here. Don't come in here, mom, because you can't handle it. Very cute, very responsible girl because it just like I couldn't handle it. But again, I can handle anything. Anything else. (laughs) Shark attacks, you know, whatever. Huge crisis, September 11th, but I cannot handle throwing up. And that is why I find these interviews hilarious because human beings are so fucking funny. Like the little quirks and issues that people have just make you human, but I just find it so funny. Yeah. Yeah. So I want to say, even though the first half we didn't record, the second half was phenomenal. And I want to thank you. Thank you. Yeah, I'm sorry we've had so many problems, but yeah, if people are more interested in in listening to more that we missed from the beginning, they can tune into my podcast or they can (laughs) ask you more questions because you got to hear the answers. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, thank you, Rachel. It was so nice to meet you. It was so nice to meet you. Again, I apologize. Not a problem. All right. Take care. Take care. Thanks for tuning in. As always, if you love this episode and the Allison Interviews podcast, please consider subscribing wherever you get your podcast. Please share the episode. And you can follow Rachel Yucatel on Instagram at Rachel Yucatel NYC. You can follow her podcast, Misunderstood with Rachel Yucatel. 
at Misunderstood with Rachel, and you can catch the Misunderstood with Rachel You Could Tell podcast anywhere you get your podcasts. And of course, you can follow me on Instagram at the Allison Kugel, and I will catch you beautiful people on the next go around. Peace.